Disclaimer, we are not doctors or scientists. We are simply defenders of the imagination. This is not a safe place to affirm your beliefs and opinions. Listener discretion is advised. another episode of the imaginary of thought and today we have a very special guest gary wayne the author of the genesis 6 conspiracy hey gary how's it going it's doing well and uh thank you for back to your podcast and uh, so happy to be here yeah i really appreciate you coming on last time and and just <laughs> listen to me talk for a little bit that was nice uh that was actually it's actually one of uh our most popular episodes that, that we have. Oh, so wow. Really appreciate you coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, you have a new book coming out and everything like that. Oh, and I'm uh, sorry for the audience. Uh, I didn't mean to. Sorry, Gary. I guess I should say uh, Zach's not with us today. So uh, he's missing an action. So it's just uh, me and Gary today. <laughs> but um, yeah, sorry, Gary. I didn't mean to make that weird. But <laughs> Yeah. I know you have a new book out and everything like that. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. So, um, yeah, I have a book that uh, I was hoping to have released here at the end of August or early November, but probably, probably October for sure. And maybe even November. So, uh, it's gone through a, uh, several layers of auditing. It's a very complex book. So, uh, was the uh, tech edit audit that I didn't anticipate. And I've not seen one of those before. We didn't do that kind of audit with the first book. And then after going and looking at the final product, I, you know, I went through and did another complete edit. I wanted to make sure the consistencies and the changes of the automated AI audit were what I wanted and made the changes back. So that has moved things back. So, but the book is called Understanding Prehistory. I'm sorry, the the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, and the subtitle is How Understanding Prehistory and Giants Helps to Define End Time. And the book will be available through my website as well. I will be getting up a generous excerpt of all 84 chapters, so it's a little bit less than uh, the first book, as I promised, as the first book is 98 chapters. This is targeted more directly at the Bible about giants and and the polytheist religion, how that affected prehistory, our history, how what's, what that has to do, with how that impacts uh, end-time prophecy. So it was a book I said I would never write a sequel. There's so much thirst out there from Christians that said, you know, 
we're just not getting taught this stuff. When we do ask questions, we're kind of asked to leave. So uh, it's it's really kind of bizarre, which kind of leads us to, you know, sort of more evidence that we just might be in the fig tree generation. So this book uh, goes through everything in detail, unlike uh, any other book that's on the market. As my first book is, this book is unique as well, but in a completely different way. And there's so much information that's in the footnotes that on the formatting we've elected to put the, uh, instead of having them as end notes at the end of the uh, book, uh, they're at the mm -hmm. footnotes at the bottom of the same page. So people can look at the sources and they can go verify the sources. It's all about getting information out as opposed to hoarding information. It goes through uh, seven different sections. I'll just sort of talk about the, the sections and then we can sort of dive in where you maybe you want to want to go on it. So um, the first section is called Giants, Demons and Angels. And uh, what I do in the first section is, is I walk through the veracity of how we know giants are real. I even get into the etymology of the word giant. Because some people out there say that the Western world is ruled and reigned over by the tyranny of the mistranslated word of giant. It Take away all of those sorts of misinformation. I define the difference between Nephilim, Gibberim, and, and Rephaim. I cover off where the demons and the devils and the unclean spirits come from and biblically to the giants. Um, I, I introduced the idea of the serpent's root as opposed to the serpent seed. They're both connected, but it has specific prophetic meanings. Uh, I cover a second incursion, how we know there was a second incursion, and maybe there was survival of the giants as well. So I cover my preferred position on how giants survived the flood. And then I get into something called the habitation for angels, humans, and demons, and that's called a dwelling place for the spirit, which is really important to understand what goes on in our world. Section. It's called the hierarchy of the Nephilim, and the Nephilim is the root word for Nephilim. And Nephil means fallen, and the I am plural means one. So that's the Shemaim of the heavenly ones. That's the fallen ones of the heavenly ones, or as we would know them as the fallen angels. And I'm going to go to their, their hierarchy. Uh, not only the hierarchy of the assembly recorded in Psalms 82, who rule as the invisible ones over the 70 nations. I go through that in detail, but I also go through the angelic hierarchy um, in, in the book, in both loyal and, and rebellious, and then I connect that back to after the flood. And then in section three, I go through what I call the hybrid Canaanite confederacy after the flood. But all of the hybrid human Rephaim or hybrid human giant versus hybrid human and angelic giant. There are little small nations that are named like the, the nine tribes as one example of Canaan. And I, I trace them back to a specific patriarch. Uh, then I go through in, in section four, I call it the post-Diluvian Rephaim world order. All, all the giant nations that we only get a few patriarchs for, all of the giant nations that are listed in the Bible, but don't go back to the table of nations. And then I add a few more in there as well, and I take on like the Hyksos and connect them in and things like that. Then I walk through all of the giant wars, starting with the War of Giants in Genesis 14, but then walk all of the wars of the Exodus, the wars of the Judges, 
all the wars of David and Solomon that are connected to, to the giant wars. And then I start working towards a connection in section four of prehistory, history and prophecy. And I start to link things like dual prophecies in between ancient history and where we are today that sets up the end time. Things like the Jesuits and the elven houses of Aranjou and Plantagenet. And I get into the scorpion beings and a whole bunch of other things. And then in section eight, which is called the fig tree generation, I start laying down all of the terms that we've been covering off in the first part of the book. And them for context to understand end time prophecy and then I lay down uh, what I think is a reliable way of how, how you can help, help verify what you're doing and test what you're doing and test what other people is doing so that you can get it right so I lay down a chronology in several different chapters that you know ultimately leads to to Armageddon so book okay. goes right from sort of post-diluvian history right after the flood right through to the end time yeah, sounds very exciting. Uh, and, and I like, uh, too, the addition of the footnotes. That always, you know, helps you absorb the information a little better. Like you said, you know, you have the source materials and stuff like that. So that's that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and even though even though I had over 100 pages of endnotes in the, in the last book, it's people, mm-hmm. what happens is, is that it's great to have that there. People want to search it out, but after about the first five or six chapters, you sort of get lazy or you get tired of going to the back of the book and saying, well, he's got notes for it. So I don't, I don't need to check it all out, but I put so much information that's in the, uh, in, in the footnotes is that you want to have that information on the same page. So because there's so much detailed information in on it, I wanted to people have that access and be able to check that veracity and, and uh, be able to read, they like so again every chapter is a mini story just like the last um book and so every chapter leads into the next chapter and will start to resurface as the book unfolds as well uh so it's one of those books where you don't jump around all over the place so you know people might have for example you know want to know what the heck the thalemic tree is or they might want to talk about or you have jesuits in in the first book and things like that. So you can, you can go forward kind of just like you did in the first book. One would lead you to read the other one. Yeah, definitely to get the, the wider expanse of the picture. Um, uh, but um, I, I, something there you said uh, when you were explaining the chapters was the uh, giant war. <laughs> that sounds uh, – is because is, it, you think about uh, Gilgamesh and stuff like that, the story of Gilgamesh. And how it's a uh, you know this big story mythological story has to do with uh, uh, a war of sorts you know yeah. not necessarily between good and evil just between two sides. So he he has a fame that sort of goes beyond the city of Uruk. So mm-hmm. he is talked about in the Ugaritic texts, and they have its own version about Gilgamesh. And uh, he is in both of those books, King of Uruk, and the Ugarit is in uh, northern um, Canaan, so between Mount Hermon and Tyr, uh, and was home of the Ugarit, famous Ugarit. Some really good information about post-Diluvian giants and the gods and the order of the uh, of the fallen angels, but 
uh, and I quote them a lot in, in, in this first book, in this second book as well, and described as uh, 11 cubits tall mm-hmm. and four cubits wide, king of Uruk. So just as Josephus instructs us to measure the giants uh, on the royal cubit, because they were all of nobility, so that would make him just about 19 feet tall, and it would make him seven feet wide. So, uh, And he's one of the dark-haired varieties, so he's depicted as Nimrod is, because Nimrod is, you know, it stays in that area and intermarries with the giants of Mesopotamia. And uh, the dark-haired have pale skin color and big beards and you also see that sort of depiction with the Hyksos and with the Syrian kings and then with um, the the Greek nobility and and giants as well and they're all part of the same kind of strain of these dark-haired pale-skinned giants versus the red-haired hazel-eyed, pale-haired, blue-eyed, pale-skinned. So there's at least three different versions after the flood. And who knows, there may be other ones that in other era, in other parts of the world that uh, I, I tend to stick with written tradition versus the oral tradition wherever possible. Just What's interesting, why I said that's interesting, is that if we understand that there's a connection between what goes on in Mesopotamia and the Middle East, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, uh, you have a... That's called Arioch. Four kings that are going to uh, be warring with all of the different dynastic empires uh, of Raphaim nations and their hybrids in, in the covenant land and in the surrounding area. It means lion-like, uh, just as Nergal would have been their major deity that they and uh, Nergal is also connected to the Avim of the of the Raphaim giants in the covenant land or the this is a settlement of the Avim that's closer to uh, Mesopotamia than it is the southern uh, land of the covenant where the other Avim are located King giants as well. So you have this giant and they're connected to like Nergal and that in the time of David, you have the lion-like of Moab and uh, the lion-faced cat. Uh, and they different groups of Indo-Aryans after the flood. One of them is the dark-haired ones. So um, it's interesting that uh, in the in this science, uh, you yeah. have these four giant kings that are going to make war with uh, giants in, in the land of, of, of the covenant. And it is a, what I would call, probably one of the greatest battles ever uh, after the flood. Uh, with the size of the armies and the size of the warriors, and that the first place that these giants uh, invade is Mount Hermon. Gilgamesh talks about Mount Hermon, you know, where King Hababa ruled on Mount Hermon, who was one of the terrible ones that did terrible things to, to humankind. That- They're not attacking the king as the first order and they're the ones in genesis are rebelling away from the ur the third dynasty and that the reason why there's an invasion is they want to impose their uh, their vassal status back onto the five canaanite kings of sodom gomorrah going on here is is that this is a the the canaanite pentapoles is a an alliance that's led by Raphaim, but they also have hybrid Canaanites. 
uh, and that they're under the giant um, nations. And in this case, they're going to attack Mount Hermon first. And they're going to attack just below Mount Hermon as they move south um, uh, on the uh, east side of the Jordan River. They're going to attack the Emim and the Zamzuzim attack the Amalekim in the south, mm -hmm. and then they're going to attack uh, the Amorites that are with the Amalekim and the Anakim, and, um, and then they're going to eventually come around at Canaanite kings and, and defeat them. And Abraham is going to rescue Lot from, take a commando that he's going to be leading Raphaim to, to free Lot from. So this happens uh, very shortly after the flood. Uh, let's say about you know 300 and some years after the flood, so it is likely the largest war that was fought since, uh, to to that time, and and who knows maybe one of the largest wars that we've seen in terms of of the world power of that time, so to speak. So that's the giant wars of Genesis 14, and that's just sort of the uh, the uh, overview of, of what happened, but it resets the whole political system and it resets the whole balance of power from that point on and in um you know just let's say about 1900 to 2000 bc and then it has ramifications thereafter that that come out of that in terms of how the political order and the balance be changing in and, and and moving from there so it's an it's an important battle but it happens quickly as I said, you know, after the flood, uh, is a hybrid dynasty that's being created with two kind of royal bloodlines, one monotheist and one. They're going to create this new El dynasty uh, from the Aleph kings or the Alephim, as the, the Catholic Church likes to talk about them, which is sort of the root to the uh, fairy kings and, and, and bloodlines. Um, that are also sort of connected to the Tuatha Dud Danann, just as the Horim are part of that Tuatha Dud Danann um, complex of of, uh, of tribes, um, and their red hair and pale skin are more. Go ahead. Oh, and, and even uh, Muhammad in uh, Islam, I think uh, they had a they have a strand of his hair and it's red and everything like that. They say it's one of his braids. Yeah, and, and red hair was uh, part of, you know, and fair skin was a description of a lot of people, and a lot of people, you know, named as such in, in the Bible. Like, they kind of call them fair, fair, uh, beautiful, and fair is in fair skin, and fair is in fairy. And it's all part of that ancient um, bloodline um, use of language to recognize the, that, that, that bloodline. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, these were, and so, the Malachim that show up in Genesis 14, they by generation. So you either have a contradiction in the Bible or you have a creation of giants that Amalek was named after. Uh, let's say patronymic of the Malachim uh, giant race. And as you dig further into the giants, as, in Isaiah, as they do in more so in the second book, but the Amalekim is, is they have a location where Amalek and Timna are going to create the Amalekites as the hybrid race, but they're going to move in amongst Amalekites at Petra. And Petra is the capital city for 
giants, but there's also Amalekim giants that's in the Mesopotamian region. And it's thought that they started there and then they migrated to uh, southern Canaan after that, uh, as the giants show up after the flood. Well, uh, and and um, I was also thinking back about uh, Mount Hermon. Um, you know, the significance of that for, you know, maybe the audience that don't know, isn't that where the uh, fallen giants orig originally fell or something like that? Uh, the oath was sworn by mm -hmm. the fallen angels to carry out their oath that is sort of renowned anathema uh, to uh, an accursed curse to carry it out to the end no matter the consequences and that oath was to uh, create a spurious or a offspring from the fallen angels and that became the Nephilim before the flood and that mm -hmm. became the Rephaim after the flood. And I make a distinction between the Rephaim and the Nephilim. The Nephilim are typically uh, accounted for before the flood. And then the Rephaim is typically the name from a biblical perspective that show up. We don't have a smoking gun verse that shows exactly how they show up after the flood, but I have a chapter devoted to second and curse. You know, is, is you get giants recreated, after the flood and they show up and they're somehow distinct from the ones before the flood. And Mount Hermon is probably the place where a second oath might've been taken by other fallen angels. Cause the first mm -hmm. before the flood went to the abyss prison for, or the pit prison for, for their crimes. And so if there's a second incursion, they would have swore that oath there as well. Mount Hermon is also the home of Baal gods that are recorded both in the Bible and in the uh, Ugaritic text. And that's where the Ugaritic text has the home of the assembly, the parent god who ruled before the flood and then Baal after the flood. And Baal in the Ugaritic text is along with Ashtaroth, the goddess uh, who mated with Canaanites to create the Raphaim after the flood. And they're recorded as the Raphiu or the Raphium um, hmm. in in the Ugaritic text. PM. But in Raphaim, Rapha with I-M is the male plural. If you take the vowels out, you end up with that R-P-M. And these were the uh, kings that... Um, the dynastic bloodlines, they were giants, and they're also known as healers. And so they could not only heal themselves, but they could also heal others as the Ugaritic text records. And what's interesting in Hebrew, as you take Raphaim back to Hebrew, the root word for the giants, which is 7497 in the lexicon, uh, the, the, um, Healer is 74.95, so just uh, two spaces before, and is the source word, and that means healer or doctor or physician in, in Hebrew. And then 74.96 is Rapha in between, and that means spirits or shades or um, evil, evil spirits, words like that. And these are representing the disembodied spirits of the giants after their bodies died. So all of the words are sort of, you know, 
sort of leads to the under giants were so hard to kill and that they had that heads off um even in the uh fight that david has with goliath he takes him down with a slingshot but then he takes goliath's sword and chops his head off that he's gonna it's thought that they had such self-healing powers that if you didn't strike them with a that was non-repairable they could find a way to themselves whether that was a natural thing or it was done through some sort of technology like with a sarcophagus or something like that what we do know is, wow. is they had those abilities to and that's why it's all sort of part of the meaning of, of the name and so uh, they were very very difficult to kill and and thinking about when you said healer um, i know that you were talking about how uh, the giant war kind of changed the political the power structure in the world and i know that uh in the past the shamans of the village or the uh the healers the the doctors essentially were the were the number one in charge they were you know the king or whoever they kind of you know even though they look like they were in power they were kind of underneath the doctor the shaman of the tribe yeah and so they would have been adepts of, of the religion uh, and high level adepts. And they tended to also, and they, they do this even to this day in polytheism, they, they put this, this pale white look on their face. And then it's to decorate those faces up, uh, you know, like with a clown, that's with sort of the source to the evil clown trickster spirit. So what they were doing with their uh, advanced knowledge is, is, to the knowledge of the of the fallen angels and of the demons that they were uh, being mediums for, and so that was sort of like an allegory to to show as to who was inside them that there was more than just one spirit in that oikatarian or that light, and that the power and the coming from that ancestral Raphaim uh, or Nephilim before the flood and was they were taking that position as a doctor or a healer uh, and then applying it and because they had extra power and they had extra wisdom coming from these sources uh, that's why they were to such a high level so you see them you see that sort of look in um, medieval with the court jester which again is kind of mm -hmm to the clown he was the the mythos is that he was there to make the king laugh mm -hmm. the the king the descendants of the Raphaim and their divine right the power comes from the Balim from Mount and that their divine right to rule um, means that they're going to have that authority they're going to have to continue to worship those gods and so the gesture is, was a way to hide an adept shaman or priest in the royal court. And so it was his job to advise the king and in the mythos to make him laugh. But if the king or the royale wasn't happy with the advice or the work that that court jester would do, mm -hmm. they would... 
and they, they would slit their mouth from ear to ear. And so you can imagine the, this goofy clown-like uh, and colors on the face as a court gesture now with his horrible because they got on the wrong side of, uh, of the king. Uh, so in European model, because they had to be hidden from Catholic oversight, they didn't leadership role. So now they're the, the sort of the power. Now, if you think about the Batman movie and you think yeah. about the Joker, he has that same look and he's fired and he's fired man who is a superhero just as the giants were heroes of old they're called heroes you know like gilgamesh is called a hero and the heroes of Uruk. there's a, an epic about that the heroes in greek mythology hercules after the flood and perseus and theseus these are all giants after the and they're called heroes just like before the flood and with the Nephilim. And so most of these superheroes on knowledge before the flood or giants both before and after the flood. So my, to my point on the foundation of landing here, you have the Joker that's one of the nemesis heroes representing sort of the 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 knowledge and the and, and the wisdom and the power that they will of knowledge as, as a, a dark superhero you have batman who is based on a raphaim or nephilim type of figure so the holy book of the kishamaya the there is a demigod offspring of the gods class giants that are called the zibelba and they are owl-faced or bird-faced, raven-faced, you know, kind of like what you see with an Anunnaki fallen mm -hmm. face, be that eagle sort of face. They're also known as the Tengu gods and Tengu demigods in Southeast Asia. But there's one classification of Zabelba that's called the House of Kamazots. And that's spelled C-A-M-A. Dead. And if you Google Camazots, you're going to get an image of Batman's outfit. And literally, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just <laughs> that, that wow. crazy. Yeah. So if you start to think about the superheroes being based on you know ancient Nephilim, and you have different kinds of Nephilim, you have the bird Nephilim. So anytime you see like a bird type of superhero of whatever form, it's reflecting something like the Zilbaba or the Anunnaki that are Earthborn or the Tengu that are Earthborn. Have um, you know super lion. Um, aspects to them and seraphim ones or serpent type ones and then you have superman who is you know from the house of l and we talked about l as being the parent god of the canaanite pantheon before the flood and l is also the hebrew word for a god or an angel and so superman clark kent is from the house of l because his name and his father's name are Dor, Dor, uh, Dor al and jural 
and he's got this sort of stylized serpent on his chest and uh, it's just oh, crazy I about, think about that yeah yeah um so it says superman or it could be seraphim man or serpent man <laughs> i mean who knows all the allegories that they've got sort of woven into that um so i know i kind of digressed on on that whole thing but and just so that people know that you know there's a lot more going on in playing what most people tend to recognize until they start to, to dig into some of this stuff. But this trickster spirit that clowns and the evil clown that was so sort of popular a few years ago is the same gesture. It's the same mythos as the shaman. How people dress up on the Day of the Dead when the Raphaim spirits come through portals uh, in that all Halloween's uh, uh, celebration that actually lasted in ancientology in, in Egypt and Greece. It lasted right till November 11th. Uh, again, if people aren't familiar with November 11th, be a while since uh, World War I en uh, ended. That's the, uh -huh. the, the day and the hour that it ended. And, uh, you know, poppies were all about. Anyways, I won't go through That's another rabbit trail about. Uh, November 11th and all the occult things that are, are woven in, in into that. This is all part 11th, of the yeah, same. A... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you look at the, the arts, the theaters, whether it's in, or it's in Greece or in Rome and the satire um, and the tragedies um, are all based on of giants and their bloodline. Satire is the same root word as satire, which is a double goat god, like the pan god, which is a degraded form of watcher as punishment for creating the giants after the flood. And that um, these plays, they used to wear these white masks mm -hmm. model as because they were trying to get into the character they're trying to become the become that ancient Raphaim uh, hero or role that the actors are playing because they're all part of the nobility which painted by the giants and that they were trying to in fact be a medium to bring back that character and to have that character and, and, and do the role. So it's all about their ancient ideology. And then you get this sort of demonic like as it shows up in China with their theater mask. And if people want to just Google, you know, Chinese, those are freaky kind of masks. And it represents the same thing that that is, uh, is the hidden character that the actor is. Um, trying to be a medium for or representing. And, you know, just with, with witchcraft, people who, uh, you know, understand that a little bit, a, a lot of that is, is just letting the demons possess you, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. essentially letting yeah. these spirits come into you and out of you, you know? So it's uh, like you're exactly. saying with them getting into the role, you know, who knows a lot of these actors and stuff out there, you know, they, they could essentially be letting, you know, what would it be Raphaim spirits or Nephilim spirits? Yep. Yeah. And, and I think the their, right word is they're, they're channeling those spirits is what they're channeling. The word I was looking Yeah. 
becoming the receiver for these entities. And, and for me, you know, as your, your temple, right? Like, uh, you know, kingdom of gods within like your body's your temple. Yep. You want to keep it holy of holy. You don't want to be letting any, anybody in there, but God, you know? Uh, so that's, you know, well, once you let them in, like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard. Once you let, Oh yeah, and and then even uh, like with uh, STDs, I I thought about it the other day. Like that's why we're supposed to um, sexually transmit the diseases. You know, that's that's from being promiscuous and sleeping with you know different kinds of people, and you get these diseases that'll take you out. So, yeah. you know, in in nature, it says yeah, you should you should you know keep yourself you know as holy as you can. You know, you know you know, get married and stick, you know, be monogamous, even though they say uh, monogamy is out of our nature. I really believe it's, even though it's maybe not a part of our uh, physical nature, it's a part of our spiritual nature to be monogamous. It's, it's good for your uh, soul, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Um, yes, because, you know, all things have a double-edged sword, right? So, uh good or it can be used for evil so all things in this world has that attached to it so discipline and uh you know following you know laws and rules are, are, are really really important to sort of keep yourself on the right track because it's so easy to get led astray and and that just opens the door to all sorts of different things and so that word oiketarian that we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. uh, that comes from the uh word in Jude 1 6 uh, where it says that the fallen angels uh, uh, original habitation or their in their first estate that word habitation is just the Greek word oiketarian and there's it's used one other time in heaven where it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 2 and it's used for the word house in heaven different formats of oikotarian are used throughout the book of corinthians there house of heaven or that dwelling place or the habitation of the of the spirits of the fallen angels where they left heaven and came to the physical world of of the earth and committed their crimes for them to do so they needed an oikotarian a new oikotarian to interact physically and so the oikotarian is the in the physical world is the soul and the body and it's the spirit that comes from heaven. So once they once they're able to create their oikotarian, then they can with human females and pass on their their DNA for them to do so. Um, so it's an important concept because when you have a disembodied spirit of a Nephilim or Raphaim that's not in the abyss prison. Uh, as Jesus described them, these evil uh, demon, who is the Greek word for demon, in the, uh, as opposed to Diablos for when it's talking about the devil, Satan. Um, and these are the ones that are and they're as, as they're described and they need a place to rest the only place they can rest 
uh, as disembodied spirits wandering the earth versus the ones that have made it to Sheol or Hades or are in the abyss. They need to possess a human, an animal. And that's the oikotarian that they need to be able to rest and to interact physically in the physical world. Trouble is, and to share that soul and body in a symbiotic way. It's a completely different. Uh, Unless you are that's an advanced shaman or something who can seemingly somehow control the demon spirit. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're not at that level, it becomes like, like that uh, the host is waging with these invaders. And that's why you get all of these horrible things body goes through and it's not like the avatar avatara effect and that is the angelic doctrine in polytheism and it comes out of uh hinduism so um was an avatar something like 16 times or even more and his most famous avatara the one who received the spirit mm-hmm. of vishnu is buddha and that's where Buddha received all of his knowledge from. And uh, so it's called in polytheism. All angels have the ability to do that. Biblically, we can back that up to a certain degree that Satan uh, took the body of Judas to help him have the courage to go through with betraying Jesus. So there seems to be evidence on both monotheism and polytheism that there's this legitimate avatar avatar which is more of a symbiotic relationship uh, where there's a sharing going on and they're adding to the power and i think it's important to understand that if people know anything about end time prophecies that Christ is going to receive his power from Satan, as Second Thessalonians 2 talks about. And that uh, he's going to have the ability to know things and maybe even fly like Superman does or like oh, the one in the Matrix does. And, uh, and I've heard you he's before. He's probably uh, going to be an avatar of one of these angels, whether it's Satan or a number of them. But he's going to have that that help, I think. Like, uh, I remember you mentioning before, like he'd have like a head injury or something like that. Antichrist. Is that, uh, I think... It talks mm-hmm. about a mortal head wound that Antichrist is going to be receiving. So this should um, should kill anything, whether it's human or it's giant. Yeah, uh, even giants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is why when he's resurrected, he's going to deceive so many people. Uh, we're not told how that happens, but that I think that happens through the ability to have maybe it's uh, Azazel as the bad and Satan as well that are providing that additional power. Or maybe it's just all the power of Satan uh, able to do that. Uh, he also can control demons, Antichrist can. So what's interesting, there's a passage in the book of Revelations, uh, in Revelation 16, during the bull, uh, Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan 
uh, have demons that come out of their mouths to do miracles and gather all the nations for the Armageddon battle and deceive them. And could also translate that as um, not coming out of the mouth, but commanding with their mouth these demons mm -hmm. to go around the world. You could translate that either or, but either way, it's implicating that they may even be in control of demons at that point in time as well. So Antichrist, the false prophet, who I'm referring to, uh, Satan obviously, as he's defined as is the leader of uh, demons and fallen angels. So this is a concept that is going to be very significant for, for Antichrist. And probably, getting back to your question, I think happens at the time of his mortal head wound because it's going to take some preternatural power to that. cheat the one thing every 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 living thing goes through you know no matter how even even inanimate objects like rocks you know eventually they'll just whittle down or deteriorate like to come back to and, like what jesus did to resurrect yeah yeah so he's going to be there and he's going to claim to be the true messiah and he's going to claim that um, people like Paul and uh, Christians and Catholic Church raised Jesus up to deity status. And he's going to say, this is how I can make you a god. And, and part, part of, of the seduction to take the mark of the beast, because he has the power to have them be like, like gods in, in this world. And it's... You know, it's all a deception, but that's that's why people are going to follow him and say who can make war with him and who is like the beast. Uh, he will have that much power and that can be so convincing that even the elect will be deceived if that were possible. And because Jesus has warned us, it is possible. And mm -hmm. why I expect that that will be uh, removed the earth and rapture will happen in the time of the temptation or the time of the trial as uh, revelation talks about that we're going to be saved from and that's the same hour that the one who comes up is the two witnesses after three that they're uh, prophesying against the world order and slays them um, and it's the days of the seventh hour that hour of trial, hour of temptation we're being saved from, which is the hour when the ten kings um, and they're represented as the dragon 13, so you could take that as Satan, Azazel, or the empire, but the ten kings will hand their power over to Antichrist um, to destroy Babylon, and uh, Antichrist will then set up his own religion in the last three and a half the Babylon religion and it's also the same hour of the destruction of Babylon that's recorded in Revelation 14 as the, as the hour and also in uh, Revelation 18. So this is, this is the time where even Christians, even the elect would be deceived mm -hmm. into following. Uh, except for Jesus steps in to, to save them from that. That doesn't mean all Christians will be raptured because not all will be as Christians as they need to be. And that also infers that they'll have to go through trial by fire in the time of the end, the last three and a half years. Just as you have that for Israel, 
through the time of trouble, which is Sarah and the same um, tribulation that is used in, in Revelation. It's pretty much a cognate word in Hebrew versus Testament is, is translated from. So going to be that powerful of a delusion, so to speak. <laughs> and to, you know, the full, the elect, the, a lot of people, what, you know, because faith, um, you know, it's a personal thing. Um, to have faith uh, in the absence of God, you know, like it says. But um, uh, for the elects, like this is he's going to show you wonders and signs, right? Things that you can see like this yeah. is he's going to show you. So so to most people, faith is, you know, visual, you know, like information yeah. is going to outweigh faith on, in, a lot, in most yeah. people's minds. you know. Yeah. And, and the false prophet will do the same. Himself to be the counterfeit. He won't claim himself to be a counterfeit, but he'll be the counterfeit Elijah. And just as Elijah, heaven, so will the false prophet. And so, he were, if we're around for that time and uh, and leading up to it, we're going to see things that we can't imagine. Uh, and and Christians are not prepared for. And so, if people understand the bible there's there's uh, a term in there that it's recorded in the book of ecclesiastics that should scare the sock and that is uh that nothing is new under the sun and what was will be again so what happened before the flood what happened just after the flood in all of the days of noah is going to happen again in the end time and worse because the great tribulation of the last three and a half years versus the tribulation of the years and the three years before that and the increasing tribulation before we even get to those the great tribulation of the last three and a half years is greater than anything that has been seen since creation so anything that happened before the flood this is going to be worse wow <laughs> that's yeah it's not good news <laughs> no no it's not something you want to go through i don't think it's i'm sure the you know just you know insane storms and who you know unimaginable kind of you know because even sometimes when it's a, a bad storm outside it gets a little scary so i could only yeah. imagine you know like well, if you look at the catastrophes uh, in the source, is wars and ruin, uh, earthquakes, um, famine, and pestilence. And those will get stronger throughout the fig tree generation or the last. So much so that it'll make the way for Babylon and its false prophets to come on the stage to set up its universal religion because the false prophets are going to be prophesying disasters, but greater than what we would have seen in the last going to be working together. And they're all brought on by people of the earth. So the people ruling the earth uh, are going to bring on what I call contrived catastrophes. And so even before the opening of the seals, people are going to think it's the day of the Lord, that we're in the last seven years, and they're going to, it's going to get worse. 
So as they start working together and get stronger, world order sets up through these wars and these calamities, it's the same catastrophes listed in, in the trumpets seals, and in the wrathfuls, just different degrees. So with the seals, you're going to get 25% destruction of the world and the people through those four catastrophes. And then when the trumpets, 33%. And we haven't even hit the midpoint of the last seven years. Wrath bowls in the year of the flesh would be destroyed, unless those days were short. Comes back for uh, the Armageddon battle. So if 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 we think that we've seen tribulation now or bad things, we've seen nothing yet. And uh, if we are in the fig tree. Gen then this is going to continue to get worse and it needs to get worse so that they can bring in their new world order and their universal religion without that kind of chaos it's not they're not going to be able to bring it about they will but every time they think they get close they get pushed back yeah it's just not uh, the times you know no one knows the time or you know date it's just they think, you know, they think they can force it, but it's it's going to happen when it's supposed to, you know. It's yeah, and just, they they would love to stay prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Follow the fallen ones. They would love to bring it about on a time that isn't the ordained time, and they're going to work without sleep to make that happen. And any time that uh, they get a set. Down. So you look at what happened in the last pestilence, and all they did was they said, okay, well, how do we do a way that is more efficient and works better the next time? So all of these uh, sorrows as they start to roll out are all test runs uh, for the bringing that makes a way and brings about the beast system that Antichrist is going to take over. So uh it will happen it's just that if we are in the fig tree generation it so many people are going to have the chronology wrong that christians will lose their credibility because they'll be saying it's rapture time it's armageddon time you know the seals of but blasts are going and they're ahead of the chronology and so why would people believe us if we can't get our get our uh, so to speak, in terms of of the chronology. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, jumping the gun, and and also just it just in a way it gives more credit to to the antichrist and everything like that when they come. You know, I mean, not credit, but makes them look more credible because they're on time. They're making things happen. Exactly. Uh, start. That's how people start this turning is, away. Yep. Yep. And I think that's the weakness of good people for the most part is uh, is a lack of aggressiveness, like I guess we're, our, our ambition, because uh, to us, we're just trying to live our best lives and, you know, enjoy our time with the people we love while they're, like you said, sleeplessly, like they want to, you know, rise up to heaven. They want to take over heaven. This isn't. You know, it's not a game to them. This is something that's, you know, this is an obsession. It is. And it, it, it's a transgenerational obsession. 
trans apocalypse obsession because the same thing happened flood. So, you know, and immediately after the flood, you get somebody like Nimrod, uh, who in the polytheist versions uh, really gets uh, Antichrist type figure. Um, so not only is he over all of the Noahites of the time, um, he introduces the Enochian mysticism from before the flood, the polytheist religion. Um, some people think it's uh, known as Zoroastrianism after the uh, religion of the end of the giants. Um, but it would still go back to being the original Enochian mysticism of Enoch, son of Cain, uh, before the flood. That was part of the same organizational structure that uh, ruled the, the antediluvian of kings ruling once they were created. Same thing happens after the flood, but um, but after, but more or less, I would say after Babel, and you have a dispersion where they're going to rule all, all of the 70 nations of the Noahites, but at Babel, you have Nimrod, who is an archetype over all of the Noahites, and he reintroduced religion. And according to the Gnostics and the, and the Masons is this is the knowledge that's found on the two pillars of there's two legends of it. One says the pillars of Lomach, the other one says the pillars of Enoch. Both are of the genealogy of Cain versus the two that are of the Seth line. And there's two Lomachs and there's two Enochs. Uh, there's, there's a good Enoch and there's an evil Enoch, so to speak. And knowledge and religion that Hermes finds in their recollection in the Polychronicon and to Nimrod who uh, that becomes available to build and have the technology to build Babel City and Babel Tower and in the Bible we get told that knowledge comes from but we are told that acting as one people together with one language there's nothing that they will not be able to do. And then the reason for the dispersion in the name of Babel, meaning confusion of languages. But in the polytheist version, they're building the into heaven, which is equivalent to a ziggurat or a pyramid in ancient times. And that he is climbing this And he's waving his spear and his weapons into the heavens at the God of the Bible and saying, if you ever get out of line again, I'm going to come up to heaven and I'm going to slay. <laughs> so that's an antichrist type scenario. And so, but people say, well, it makes no sense. It's just allegorical. It's this or that. Mm -hmm. And I agree. You can't build something of stone high enough to get into even to the moon into another dimension but these facilities were built on ley lines and pyramids and towers and ziggurats were thought to be techno technology angelic technology that had interdimensional capabilities you, you look at the meaning of babel in mesopotamian and akkadian languages in particular uh, where you document it from, but they're all the same legend. Babel, as it would be understood, kind of transliterated in English as Babalu, means with E-L or I-L-U, 
means an angel or a god. And Bab means a gateway or a portal. So now you have a translation of a gateway of the gods, a portal of the gods, however you want to translate that. Now that starts... Uh, yeah. If he if that tower is now going to be permitted to be completed, he could go another dimension into the world of shade and lock his gods who created the Raphaim after the flood and the Nephilim before the terrible ones, the spirits of the most terrible that's talked about in Ezekiel 32 are locked in the sides of the abyss. He's going to release those and go into heaven and attack God. And all of a sudden things start to make some sense as to what what's going on here. And that in the end time, that angelic technology that we see being developed around us today, and they're talking and CERN and AI and traveling into different dimensions and that there's multiple dimensions and that I think they're planning to do the same thing as Nimrod was, that he is going to uh, Antichrist along with the fallen angels. They want to release those beings from the abyss, which we see happening in Revelation 9 before the midpoint. And then there's a war in heaven in Revelation 12 where Michael stands up and it's all the angels down to the earth for the last three and a half years, which we said was going to be a time so bad since creation. So now we start to understand why. And in Daniel 8.10, Antichrist is able to go into heaven and throw down and trample on some of the starry host. So there's a technology is going to be available as we get to the midpoint of the last seven years and probably see some of it in act, especially with the opening of the abyss up to a year and a half before the midpoint, where we see this interdimensional activity and that Antichrist is going to do what all Antichrist wannabes before him were wanting to do. Open up hell to earth or something, and open up uh, earth to heaven, like, <laughs> like, yep. and to and to and to will and to win a realm on their own. And, and again, we see their doctrines in plain sight. So, you know, in Isaiah fourteen, Satan tried to do the same thing. So all Antichrist figures are same thing, past and future. And he wanted to raise his throne into heaven to be like God and to rule like God. I don't think he thought he could defeat God. I mean, he knew how powerful and he knew that of, of, uh, of God at uh, behest, at God's behest, let's put it that way. And so in that movie, Dr. Strange, which I think is probably the best example, where you have all of these interdimensional travel, you have all of these magi type of sorcerers and individual great knowledge, and they're they're trying to win a war against the Lord, Dark Lord of, and what they're wanting to win is the Earth as a treaty that they can live on their own 
outside of reach in their own realm. I think that's what the fallen angels were always trying to do. And I think that's the plan all the way through that they're deceiving humankind, that you can win that um, and, and offering that you can win that realm on your own. And that's what they're trying to do when they go to war against God in the last seven years. Wow. So it's not really about defeating God. It's just about getting away from his, his hold over like to essentially in their way, like freedom <laughs> to be yeah, evil, so, you know, at, at, at their, you know, with no, well, and, uh, and they don't expect, and they don't expect God to go in mm. the polytheist belief system. It's like the yin and the yang is in that there are two equal opposing powers. And so as taught in, in the Masonic side of it is as they recognize or Lucifer, the great architect, as their God. But they also recognize the God of the Bible as Satan's equal and that no one is ever going to win. So at the macro level, you have this duet is evil. And depending on which side of the fence you're on is how you define who is good. That is in battle perpetually, but nobody ever wins. And so that's what they're teaching their people is that we can't defeat God, but we can win our own realm. <laughs> Thomas, I don't know if you know about like pro wrestling, but... Yep. Uh... You see, you get out the ring for ten seconds, and you get the disqualified, or whatever. <laughs> disqualified themselves, essentially. I guess. Yeah. Wow, I've never thought about that before. Like that, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, uh, yeah, and it's also why an analogy of uh, in the occult where you've got God and Satan sitting down at a chessboard, or. Uh, and so one might win one round, but then the other one wins the next round, and they just keep playing forever, right? So, yeah, it's, we're just the uh, if you, chess pieces. <laughs> well, and and if you look at the hierarchy of the angels, that's kind of what's being on the chessboard. Um, but understand, there's the visible ones and the invisible ones. But you know, you have a throne room in heaven. You have a three fallen angelic uh, angels. And so in the uh, polytheist version, you have not just God, but you have a goddess. So you have a king and a queen of heaven. Just as Inanna, Lilith, Tiamat, and on and on. It's in all cultures where you have the is the equal to, uh, to the ruling God. And so before, a lot of people think that Leviathan is a, is kind of an allegory for, for Satan as well. And you had a female Leviathan that was killed in prehistory, and then the male one gets um, slain, according to the book of Isaiah. So um, that's what I think may be coming back um, as being represented. Even with the gods, you always had male and female. You know, you have Isis and uh, Osiris, uh, for example, mythology. 
And so you have that throne room uh, of, of a, a goddess and a god that are ruling, and they would classify uh, the Holy Spirit in their uh, polytheism, queen of uh, and a female goddess. Um, that's their belief system. That's not monotheism. But then you have the priests or the. And so you can see that organizational structure, not only from an earthly perspective with the religions, and also you have the seraphim who are the ministers that work before the altar uh, of God in heaven. And uh, they actually take a stone and out of that altar and Isaiah's lips and takes takes away his sin in that in that vision. Ministers of God and the ones who um, also look after the governance of the earth. And then I won't go through all these, but when you look at the other players on the board, you have like a rook, and you have a knight, and you have the bishop. And I classified one of the watchers as as the seraphim and uh as the bishops and you also have the cherubim which are uh the ones who pull god's chair and in greek mythology and elsewhere a unicorn horse or a white staff um, mm -hmm. and an allegory for a cherubim and then you have like the mighties and you, know, you could include the whole archangel the hierarchy uh, and the mighties and the icarus um, included in, in those rooks and in the physical world those would be those fortresses of those pentapoli cities that they that they used to build as part of their empires or the castles of the middle ages and then you have the pawns those are the messenger angels and the ones that would be doing the sort of legwork up front for all the different three uh categories and some people say four uh angelic hierarchy so in the mighties one and in the cherubim one they would be like warriors because cherubim are also like warriors who they're seen with flaming um, eden in, in the book of genesis and in in uh the visible because it's the pawns that get sacrificed right uh in the wars that yeah. they fight <laughs> you can see that that is the checkerboard square, what do you see in a Masonic temple? Mm -hmm. And what do same. you see in a lot of, and what do you see in a lot of throne rooms around the world is presentation. So, so uh, look at the throne rooms of the dynastic uh, royals as just being representing the visible ones to the fallen angel that governs one of the 70 nations. It's all part of the hierarchy. I've also heard, um, like with like steps, like you're stepping as you're like, uh, you could as with each step, you're stepping on the black pieces. But if you just adjust your step, you're stepping on the white pieces, and uh, something like I, I think it was I can't remember exactly, but I heard something like that too, like how uh, good people can do bad things from time to time, and also how evil people can use good to their advantage yep. as a as a cover yeah and that's again you know all part of the occult sort of dualism so um good nephilim nephilim so like 
Hercules, whether he's Raphaim or Nephilim, and who know, and I think there was a antediluvian named Hercules as well. Um, and you know, they did evil, they did battle against evil giants. You have black magic and you have white magic. Um, and you have good witches and you have evil witches. And it's a standard with evil. Well, they have this sort of polytheism, good versus evil as well. They all worship the same pantheon. We could with an allegory that's used as the white hats and the dark. And that, that allegory really want to destroy humankind. And the white hats, you know, they're quite uh, amenable to keeping humans. Uh, do good things for humans, except they were in Pantheon and are trying to accomplish the same goals. So uh, they and understand their doctrines and their allegories, but that dualism is exactly what is being reflected on inside their belief system, where even part of their white hats can do some evil things, and just as some of their black hats can sometimes. And they would classify humans to be bought into that uh, same sort of. We're taught as monotheists that, you know, we live in a sinful, founded uh, by the corruption of this world, and that from that, but we should try to always do good. And we're going to fall short because we're corrupted in this world, and we need to recognize. Those teachings that we were just that we were just talking about, uh, where you step, where you don't step, as as the allegory goes, um, is the wisdom of this world. It is not the wisdom of heaven. It is God. It's not the wisdom of the Bible. Uh, but uh, we have to find our way and find our faith um, while we're here, and that's that's our whole role is is to find our way to God. And and uh, you know with the, with the, like uh, with each step, um, and um, you know I think as some uh, the you know it's it's kind of a it's a hard thing, right? Because when you think of a good person, and say for example a, a soldier who uh, helps all these people and does all this you know kind of stuff, saves the world, but then at the end of the day he goes to a strip club and gets drunk or something like that you know yep. and that's how he yep. likes to spend his time and and you kind of look at him like you ignore all of his good deeds and you just think oh look at this guy yep. he's such a yep. a gross person but then you an evil person uh they could be running all these charities but they're running charities so they have access to victims you know so it's yep. it's we have to quit judging on the the surface level and really just look at the the core of people you know we all fall short of the glory of god so um i feel like when people really accept accept that nobody's perfect you know and uh and that's like the thing with the politicians because we know they're the you know 99 of the time they're the most corrupt and they're the ones that try to make themselves seem perfect like they never do anything wrong and that's a good sign to say, hey, maybe <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this guy. You know, he doesn't seem human. I think that's that's the whole thing. Is human is trial and error. You know, like you said, we're we're working our way towards God, and that comes from you know mistakes. You know, sadly, that's what you know. That's what most people just you know 
unless you're, you know, nobody really just gets it right all the time. We have to evolve. And I think that's what it is. Like you said earlier, a uh, trial by fire. It is, it is. And that, you know, just as it, the island of earth in the sea of Gentile nations. And we have to understand that um, we're going to, we're going to, world, and we have to be very good at uh, what's going on in this world and um, who to believe and who not to believe. And the temptations are everywhere. Not easy, that's for darn sure. And nobody should ever say it is easy. It's not. And I would also look, you know, sort of advise maybe that, you know, people look at uh, help you um, to understand what's going on in the world. I mean, they do everything in plain sight. They tell you what they're going to do in advance. And most of the ones we concerned about are the globalists and and the far far left uh hand in hand to bring about a new world order and uh they have no tolerance (laughs) (laughs) and they have no tolerance for christians um so and we also need to understand within our is that just because you uh and i live in canada just because we have a conservative party doesn't mean um they're not uh, you know, progressives, and they used to be called progressive conservatives as a party up here. So, so just as in the U.S., you have the establishment Republicans. They are part of the same globalist movement. If they're globalist, that's a right because the way they can bring what they want about is through globalism. So the only way they can have the universal religion ruling and world government ruling so that they can have this great harmonic conversion into godhood is to have that happen. So it's not hard to recognize the theology, the philosophy of the other side. Uh, It doesn't matter whether they say they're secular or not. If they're doing the philosophy of this world, if they're doing the theology of this world, have our best interests at heart, and uh, they're going to persecute us. Uh, that's where it's headed to, because right. of people who disagree with them. They're only tolerant of those people who, and they'll eat as they go, because that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, I saw something that. Uh, post uh, the other day on Instagram uh, and it had uh, something about the satanic temple, like the satanic church. Like you had, you can enter a satanic church, but you have to get a vaccine and uh, wear a mask. And they, yeah. <laughs> it's like they preach uh, do as that will and we're freedom of choice and stuff like that. But freedom of the choice, the globalist ones, you know, yeah. like you, we, you know, it's like they make you feel like you made that choice, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's compulsory, you you chose to do that. Yeah. Okay. I get that. But, you know, that's <laughs> the, uh, you know, they, uh, they do, do as they, they will, right? That's uh, mm-hmm. record thalem. Uh, as, uh, uh, you know, in the New Testament, the will of God or... Uh, but they 
pervert that into their own way of thinking. And that's to do anything that uh, is against what is God's rule. Uh, God has a rule, then you have the the will to do otherwise, then you're part of this polytheist sort of religion. And that's the uh, root word where the Thelemic tree comes from. Uh, and the Thelemic tree is their organizational structure, trunk organizations all over their worldwide organizations. It's, you have trunk organizations with branches that go in all around the tree of uh, other hierarchical organizations but they report into the trunk organizations and at the top is the 13 families and the bottom is the masonic freemasonic organization organizations in between and they all have their it's also the same allegory that they use for the genealogical tree which is typically an elm tree. Sometimes it's an oak tree or an ash tree, but typically an elm tree. And uh, that keeps tracks of their genealogies. And known in ancientology as the world tree and the roots go down into Hades, which is their heaven. And uh, all the power of the Thelemic tree and the power of those uh, world visible ones come in their heaven which is Hades so that idea of of uh, you know as as above so below uh, is not quite understood the same way as above you know in the where you know we want things done on heaven or done on earth as they're done in heaven and we understand that as a in the polytheist inversion they want things done and above as what is done in their heaven, which is Hades, which is below. Like, and and um, you know, it, God, like he he essentially does let us do what we what we want, what we will, because he gives us the free choice. But at the same time, he's like, you have the free choice to choose. But you know, these these uh, morals and moral codes i have i have for you don't kill you know be respectful uh yeah. and all this kind of stuff um that's how you evolve and truly be like him that's that's how you you will you will follow you know get get to him so it's that's that's a beautiful thing you know it's like you said it's like their version is is like it's just false it's, it's they say do as thou will but in the end instead of giving you a choice, like God giving you a choice to follow him, they're like, they're making you think you got a choice, but it's actually, no, we're going to sh shackle and chain you. <laughs> like, like yeah. there is no choice. And, and once they have a hold of you, they don't let go. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I guess we're coming up here. Uh, should probably uh, close up and kind of getting a little hungry. <laughs> And everything I know, it's getting uh, getting a little late. We've been on for an hour and a half, and uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. There's a lot of stuff I've, you know, I've heard, you know, you on plenty of my friends' episodes and other podcasts and stuff. And uh, and um, but it, I still, you know, e even when this episode, I've learned some new things. So that's <laughs> that's why it's great, awesome. you know, Gary. You know, yeah. you're one of the best out there for sure. Like, get that. Um, but, uh, would, uh, is there anything, uh, you'd like to, uh, 
you know, promote, promote your books and, and, you know, where people can find you and stuff. The best way to find me is through my website. That's Genesis six conspiracy.com. That's Genesis six with the number six conspiracy.com. And on that website is if you go to the page where it says contact Gary Wayne uh, for an interview, that's my email address. If you click on that, send a message to me. If you want to ask me a question or uh, ask for a document that I might've mentioned, that's the way to get a hold of me, or you can just email me genesis 6 conspiracy at gmail.com genesis 6 with the number 6 conspiracy at on that website uh, i have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters of the first book and if you wanted to get a signed copy you can order directly from me you go to the buy now page buy from and if you're in the u.s there's a u.s page if they're if you're in canada there's a canada page if you're overseas you can also link from that page over to Kindle to get the digital version or over to Amazon.com or to Amazon.ca and also BarnesandNoble.com. My new book will be marketed also from the same uh, website as well as available in other venues as well. And I will have a generous excerpt of all 84 chapters on that. And soon I'll have an ability to pre-order up hopefully within the next month. In the meantime, if you want to be notified as to when the new book is going to be out and, and the price, um, when I have all of that information, I will email you. So all you have to do is email me at Genesis 6 Conspiracy. That's again with the number 6, Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2 at Gmail. Send me an email and I will notify you uh, when I have a firm release date price and all the ways that you can buy a copy wow it's, it's really exciting you know it's a, uh so definitely everyone go check that out and um i definitely will be too <laughs> so, um, i'm not i'm I, I used to get i'm not the best reader but <laughs> i'm trying to get back into it you know i have uh, some more free time out so i actually do want to get back into uh reading myself so I'm definitely gonna be uh, looking out for that, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then for everyone, uh, uh, thanks for listening, and and again, Gary, thank you very much for coming on. This is great. Uh, I really wish Zach was here. <laughs> you know, hopefully, maybe one day in the future. You know, uh, yep. But uh, yeah, to everyone, uh, uh, catch you next time on the Imaginary Thought. <laughs> guess there yeah thank you very much sir that was that was good that was was pretty good chill yep oh yeah that was really good uh especially with with how you uh you know explained everything it all kind of in a way it all kind of tied in uh so that was really cool uh uh just yeah (laughs) i'm not the best at articulate articulating the (laughs) the uh i guess the intro outro stuff so but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure they'll enjoy the rest of the episode yep. <laughs> well, you can you can edit what you want to so you can clean anything up you want through the editing process so i wouldn't worry about it <laughs> yeah. no, it was good you were fine yeah you were fine no thank you yeah that was awesome um yeah hopefully we can, you know have you back on uh when the book comes out and everything that maybe Future, yep. uh, I'll definitely be promoting that big time for you. <laughs> Excellent, appreciate that. Yeah, 
book, uh, uh, booking into no, but down the road. Yeah. So we can get a hold of me. We can set another date. No. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. All right, Gary. Talk to you later.